We now come to Prime Minister's questions. I start with Caroline Noakes. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I know that the whole House will want to join me in congratulating Emma Raducanu, Joe Salisbury, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid for their victories in the US Open. They have made the whole nation proud. Mr Speaker, on Battle of Britain Day, we honour the legacy of those brave air crews who defended our nation. I am sure that members will also want to join me in wishing you well, Mr Speaker, for the G7 Speakers and Presiding Officers Conference in Chorley uh, later this week. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I would like to pass on my condolences to the Prime Minister on the sad loss of his mother. Mr Speaker, raising children is very expensive, more so when they are disabled. The children impacted by sodium valproate have suffered physically, mentally and indeed financially. When the Cumberledge report was published, there was real hope that they would get support. However, on the last day before summer recess, a written ministerial statement indicated that recommendation four of that report would not be actioned. Can I please ask my right honourable friend to urge the Secretary of State for Health to look again at that and give the financial redress to the parents of those children that they so desperately need? Friend, for her kind words, and uh, on her substantive point, she is entirely right to raise the, uh, the uh, issues investigated by Baroness Cumberledge. And we've given the report a full consideration and accept the overarching uh, conclusions of the report, Mr. Speaker, and are committed to making rapid progress in addressing all the uh, areas uh, it mentions, including the one uh, that she uh, that she covers today. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Emma Raducanu, a tremendous success in the US Opens, uh, on the Battle of Britain and on the G7 Speakers Conference? And, Mr Speaker, can I also offer my condolences to the Prime Minister on the loss of his mother? Uh, as I know firsthand, losing a parent is never easy. Mr Speaker, how many extra hours a week would a single parent working full-time on the minimum wage have to work to get back the £20 a week the Prime Minister plans to take away from them in his universal credit cuts? Mr Speaker, first of all, I think it's, uh, I thank the uh, right order for what, he, uh, what he's, uh, his kind words, but uh, on his substantive point about Universal credit, Mr. Speaker. It is, it is, it is absurd uh, because uh, the, the the Labour Party. Uh, the Labour, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you one. I'll give you a statistic, Mr. Speaker. Uh, every every single recipient of universal credit would lose their benefits under Labour because they want to abolish universal credit, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and I think that I think that this House and this party should be, uh, this government should be very proud of what we're doing and continue to do to support the low-paid. And it was another uh, conservative insti- institution, uh, the living wage, Mr. Speaker, uh, that increased uh, the, the incomes of families on the living wage by £4,000 ahead, Mr. Speaker. What they want to do, Mr. Speaker, is keep this country in lockdown, uh, keep this country in, the, in furlough uh, without moving forward at all. Here's Starmer. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister didn't answer the question. 
The Work and Pension Secretary seems to think it's an extra two hours a week. So let me make it even easier for the Prime Minister. Is the correct answer higher or lower than that? <laughs> Mr Speaker, uh, what, I can I, I, what I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that under this government, for the first time in decades, wages are rising, Mr Speaker. Wages across the board are, are rising, and, and they're 4.1% up on where they were before the pandemic. In fact, I'm, I'm very pleased. Uh, of course, what they want to do is to continue to, to take money in taxation and put it uh, into benefits. We don't think that's the right way, Mr Speaker. We want to encourage high wages and high skills, Mr Speaker. Uh, and that is the difference between this government and the Labour Party opposite. I think it is a good thing. I think it's a good thing, for instance, that Costa Coffee is now paying 5% more than they were before the pandemic. And never forget, if we listened to Captain Hindsight, Mr. Speaker, Costa Coffee would still be closed. Mr. Speaker, it wasn't a difficult question. The answer to the question, it's silly, they say, it's a silly question. How much, how much would somebody working full time on the minimum wage have to, how many hours they'd have to work to make up for the cut, is apparently a silly question. The answer, I'll, I'll give the Prime Minister the answer to the question. It is much, much higher. A single parent could be a constituent working on the minimum wage already working full-time, would need to work over nine hours a week on top of their full-time job just to get the money back that the Prime Minister is taking away from them. Prime Minister, they are already working full-time. They've got kids. How on earth does the Prime Minister think they're going to find the time to work an extra nine hours, in truth, Mr Speaker, an extra day every week? How, Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, I tell you what we're doing to support people on low incomes, not only with the, uh, with the living wage, but 30 hours of uh, free childcare, uh, freezing petrol duty, uh, Mr Speaker, extending the, the, uh, the cost of heating allowance for 780,000 people across this country. But even more important than that, Mr Speaker, for the low paid, what we're doing is seeing their way, encouraging measures to see their wages rise. Uh, we're investing. Investing in their skills, Mr. Speaker. We're investing in work coaches, Mr. Speaker. And the there's a dividing line now between this government and the opposition. We want a high-wage, high-skill economy with, with controlled immigration, Mr. Speaker. And what they want is low wages, low skills, and uncontrolled immigration. That's what they stand for. Let's test that right now. We've had three questions, and the Prime Minister hasn't answered one of them. And it's obvious why. The truth is that these low-paid workers can't work longer hours to get back the money the Prime Minister is cutting from them. He knows it. They know it. Millions of working families will be hit hard, very hard, by the Prime Minister's universal credit cut. And the reason, Prime Minister, the reason, Prime Minister, is this. Why would they have to work an extra nine hours, nine hours, a full day every week, to get that £20 back? It's because of his broken tax system. He's just said how good it is. So let's test it. After his national insurance rise, for every extra pound, for every extra pound that these workers earn, 
His government will take more than 75 pence from them. That's why they have to earn. That's why they have to work for nine hours one day. Why is the Prime Minister? He's just said how he's going to raise wages, what he's going to do. That's the situation. Why is the Prime Minister making a bad situation worse for working people by hammering them with a cut to universal credit and a tax rise? Yeah. 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 Mr Speaker, actually what we've done uh, with, our, with our local housing allowances increase uh, by £600 the amount of money to be, to be available to exactly uh, the type of person that he mentions. But he, he attacks... He attacks the, he attacks the he attacks the he attacks the plan, Mr. Speaker. He attacks our plan uh, to fix the backlogs in the NHS that we announced last week. And I have to say, I thought it was utterly incredible that the party of Nye Bevan uh, should have come to this House last Wednesday and voted against measures that would fix the NHS, Mr. Party. It's, per- it's quite clear that this is the, now the party of the NHS. They simply do not have a plan, Mr. Speaker. They don't have a plan for universal credit. They want to abolish it, and they don't have a plan to fix the NHS or social care, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, an unfair tax rise which won't fix social care and won't clear the NHS backlog is not a plan, Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister pretends, he pretends he's no alternative but to hammer working people with tax rises and universal credit cuts. But that's not true. His approach means that a working single parent who's a qualified nurse would lose £1,143. A supermarket worker could lose £1,093. A teaching assistant could lose £1,081. But at the same time, the Prime Minister wasted billions on crony contracts, cut taxes for people buying second homes, and handed out super tax deduction for the biggest companies. That's not taking, Mr Speaker, that's not taking difficult decisions. That's making political choices. So why is the Prime Minister choosing to take a tax system that's already loaded against working people and making it even more unfair. Mr Speaker, it is absolutely ridiculous that he should uh, attack the government uh, over over salaries for nurses when we put them up by 3%, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, on top of the 12.8% rise that we we introduced, when we're hiring 50,000 more nurses, Mr Speaker, and when we're we're just putting another £36 billion into the NHS and social care on top of the £33 billion that this government invested when we came into office. We are... Mr Speaker, one in ten, one in ten of the people in this country is now on an NHS waiting list. They know, they know, they know that the NHS backlog needs to be fixed. They know that this government has a plan and they know that Labour has got absolutely nothing to say. I just wonder what the millions of people facing a £1,000 cut on low wages will think of that. This country's success is built by working people, but the tax system is loaded against them. The Prime Minister may not understand the pressures facing families across the country, but we do. And the reality is this. Taxes on working people, up. National insurance, up. Council tax, up. 
energy bills, food prices, burdens on families. Up, up, up. The Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, needs to get real and understand the terrible impact of his decisions on working people across this country. Mr Speaker, this afternoon he has the chance to change course, to vote with Labour to cancel a cut to universal credit and then to stop clobbering working people with unfair tax rises. Will he do so? Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, let me let me tell. Uh, I, I think you see the panto season has, has, has come early. Uh, so, so let me tell, let me, let me tell him. Uh, Ruth, Ruth, which which country? Order, order, order. If it is, it's certainly behind you, Prime Minister. So, well, let me ask you, Mr. Speaker, since you're a man of, of great restraint and, and taste uh, and judgment, uh, which country has the fastest growth in the G7? Where is employment up, Mr. Speaker? Uh, where are job vacancies at the highest level uh, up, Mr. Speaker? Uh, as for wages, Mr. Speaker, they are up, uh, to, higher than they were before the pandemic. I've listened to I listened to the right honourable uh, gentleman very carefully over the last uh, over the last fortnight. I'm told that he has a 14,000-word essay in gestation, uh, Mr. Speaker. I don't know why he can't produce it uh, right away. I mean, why does the world have to wait for the, the thoughts of, of, of Chairman of Chairman Keir? Uh, uh, having, having listened, having listened uh, to, to what he's had to say, uh, his non-existent plan for for benefits for universal credit, his non-existent plan uh, for health and social care, I can compress those fourteen thousand words to four, Mr. Speaker. Vote Labour. Wait longer. Jobs is working, Mr. Speaker. Our plan for COVID is working. Hey, come on, Cheryl. The <laughs> minister needs to count the number of words. Come on, Cheryl. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, be it farm workers or lorry drivers, my employers are saying they want more staff. What more can the Prime Minister do to increase the training and mobility of job seekers to help them into the jobs they need? Here. I thank my honourable friend, and she's absolutely right to point out to the problem of lorry driver shortages, which is affecting the whole world, in, from Europe to North America. What we're doing immediately is, of course, working to get out more more licences. We're taking advantage of a, of a post-Brexit freedom, I can tell the House, so that anybody, any, all, all, all the young thrusters on these benches here with a post-97 driver's licence can now drive a uh, a, a vehicle with a trailer as well. Everybody can drive a, a vehicle with a trailer uh, as well. But what we're also seeing, Mr. Speaker, after a, a long period of stagnation in wages for those in the in the road haulage industry, we're also seeing an increase, a long overdue increase in wages. And that, Mr. Speaker, is is part of the same phenomenon that this government is introducing, and they are opposing. Leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And can I pass on my condolences to the Prime Minister and his family for the sad loss of his mother the other day? And of course, I join with the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition on congratulating uh, Emma Raducanu for her fantastic uh, success in New York last Saturday. And of course, we mourn the anniversary uh, last Saturday of 20 years since the horrors of 9/11. We remember all of those that paid the 
sacrifice and that outrage that took place. Mr Speaker, this morning we learned that the rate of inflation has reached its highest level in a decade. For ordinary workers and families, prices are going up at the very moment when they can least afford it. Workers and families need more than just a winter plan for COVID. They need a winter action plan to fight a Tory poverty pandemic that is only going to get worse. So, does the Prime Minister know, and can he tell us, how much Tory government cuts to social welfare will cost the average nurse? Speaker, what we're doing is protecting uh, people on low incomes up and down the, the country, and indeed uh, we, we are uh, fr- freezing uh, fuel duties, supporting uh, uh, childcare, and, and of course by the huge package of measures that we've that we've brought in, uh, not, not least that not least that the living wage, which will see an increase of four thousand uh, pounds, is already seen an increase of four thousand uh, pounds for every uh, family on the, on the living wage, but. More importantly than that, he, he talks about the income of, of a nurse, Mr. Speaker. What we're doing is investing massively in health and social care uh, up and down uh, the country, uh, which will help to fund, uh, apart from anything else, Mr. Speaker, the increase in nurses' pay that they so, so thoroughly deserve. And I, and I hope he will support that package. Ian Blackford. My goodness, my goodness, Mr. Speaker, an increase in nurses' pay. Either the Prime Minister doesn't know or he simply doesn't care. Because when you take the cuts to universal credit and you take the increase in national insurance, Prime Minister, the figure you were looking for is that the average nurse will lose £1,736. Once again, this government is cutting the pay of key workers, the very people that we are relying on to see us through another difficult winter. The cost of living is spiralling and people are being left with a Prime Minister who doesn't know how much his cuts are hitting key workers, and a Secretary of State for Welfare that doesn't know how universal credit works. Mr Speaker, if any Scottish Tories are in a possession of a backbone, now would be a good time to find it. Does the Prime Minister expect any MPs from his Scottish branch office to stand against the callous cuts to universal credit, or has the Prime Minister already bought them off with promises of jobs in his reshuffle. Well, Mr Speaker, actually what's happening is that uh, we're we're funding the NHS across the whole of the UK, uh, in, including in, in Scotland, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say, with, with record sums. And uh, we've ensured uh, that uh, nurses, nurses uh, have, an, have access to uh, a, a training bursary uh, worth £5,000, a further bursary £3,000 uh, for childcare costs, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, we have put up, and that is before we put up that we put up their pay uh, by three. Uh, percent, Mr. Speaker. So uh, we are, uh, and that is only possible because of the uh, the investment that we're making, uh, the measures that I outlined last week, the package that we're putting forward uh, for health and social care. And if if he's really saying, Mr. Speaker, if he's really saying that uh, the Scottish Nationalist Party are opposed uh, to that investment, if he's really saying he would send it back, Mr. Speaker, then I think he's better off banging on as he normally does about a referendum because he's better on that. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Now that the move to have a domestic ID card for each of Northern Ireland, Wales, England and Scotland 
has started, what consideration has my right honourable friend given to how the nationalists will use them to break our union? I'm very grateful to uh, the vigilance of my honourable friend about the matter of ID cards. I can tell him that the, we have absolutely no plans uh, to bring them in, but I will, I will watch them very carefully, Mr. Speaker. My condolences to the Prime Minister on the loss of his mother. Um, health waiting lists are through the roof in Northern Ireland. Hard-pressed families are being hit by decisions uh, from this government. But the DUP has been hit by a bad opinion poll, so they are threatening to bring down the very institutions of the Good Friday Agreement. Will this Prime Minister commit today to fast-tracking the legislation going through this House, agreed at NDNA, to stop the institutions coming down if one political party has a petulant strap? I thank the Honourable Chairman. I agree with him. It is very important that the institutions of Northern Ireland should be robust and that they should continue. But I also think that a responsible government has to address the issues of the, of the protocol, the lopsidedness, and the way in which the EU has chosen to interpret them, and that I do not believe satisfies the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. And that is what we are going to do. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I start by also expressing my condolences to the Prime Minister? Mr. Speaker, as the Prime Minister knows, yesterday I led a Westminster Hall debate about the British fur trade and the import of dead animal products from abroad. I know my right honourable friend cares deeply about animal welfare. Will he please join me in denouncing the horrible, cruel, and unnecessary slaughter of an average of one million animals every year just for their skin? In the post-Brexit Britain, we can outlaw this horrible practice—a practice that I'm sure he and many, many others of British people hate. Will he meet with me to discuss my campaign to end the import of fur to Britain and truly make a fur-free Britain? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, Mr. Speaker, that my honourable friend speaks for millions and millions of people up and down this country who abhor the fur trade and, and don't uh, uh, want to wear, wear fur. Obviously, we've banned uh, the, uh, the fur farming in this country uh, for, a, for a long time. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and we're going to look at what we can do, uh, working with the, uh, the, uh, the fur sector, uh, to understand what we can do uh, to prevent uh, fur being imported into Britain. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. By the time my wonderful friend Linda went to the doctor, um, the cancer had, was already so advanced that she only had a few weeks to live. Many honourable members have been through cancer, and they know well that early detection saves lives. And unfortunately, of course, long waiting lists will make it more difficult to save lives. The real problem we have is we have a massive shortage in the number of thousands in the number of pathologists and radiologists to catch the cancers in the first place, and a massive shortage of oncologists and dermatologists to do the treatment. So regardless of the money, how are we going to make sure that we've got the personnel, yeah. not in five years' time or seven years' time, yeah. but now, yeah. to be able to save lives? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, first of all, I want to say how uh, sad I am to hear about uh, uh, his constituent, uh, Linda, and her experiences, uh, I think, have been shared by uh, literally millions of people uh, in this country during the pandemic because they haven't uh, been uh, willing or able to, to get the, 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 the oncology uh, treatment that they, they need because of the pressure 
of, of COVID on the, on the system. Uh, the system is now coming back, trying to, to help everybody as fast as possible to fix the backlogs. And so, yes, it's necessary to hire more nurses and more doctors. And uh, there, are, uh, there are about 10,000 more nurses, now about 6,000 more, more doctors. And he's right in what he says. Uh, totally right in what he says about radiologists and, uh, and, and pathologists. But uh, if I can just respectfully uh, say to the, to the right honourable gentleman, that must be done by means of the big, powerful package uh, that we put forward last week uh, 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 to, to raise the funding necessary, which I believe that his party should have supported, and I think it's incredible that they didn't. Tom Randall. Yeah. Mr Speaker, our work continues to improve maternity services at Nottingham University Hospitals. And last week, local MPs heard from those affected in a, minister, in a meeting with the Minister for Patient Safety, including from a former constituent of mine whose baby died only eight weeks ago. Will my right honourable friend agree that it is right that there is going to be an independent review into local maternity services? And will he join me in asking for those affected to come forward to give evidence to that review? so that in the future mothers across Nottingham should get the maternity services that they both need and deserve. Yeah. Yes, I, I thank my honourable friend for raising this matter. I know that he's campaigned on, on this. The, the review is going ahead. Uh, we will look at what to do uh, once it has been completed. But in the meantime, uh, Nottingham University uh, hospitals are going to be supported through the National Maternity uh, Safety uh, Support Programme. Olivia Blake. Mr Speaker, across the country there are children who haven't gone back to school because their schools say they can't meet their needs. Do the continued delays to the government's SEND review mean that the government has abandoned these children and will the Prime Minister listen to the concerns of parents and young people and make sure their voices are heard in this review? Uh, I'm very grateful to her. She's raising a very, a very important point. But when uh, this government came in, a key part of the uh, £14 billion extra that we put into education uh, was, uh, was to invest in uh, special educational needs, to, to allow uh, local areas to, to build more SEND schools uh, where, they were, where they were necessary, and uh, putting in another £780 million in extra SEND education for, for our kids. If there's a particular uh, shortfall in a particular school, a particular area that she wishes to, to, to raise, then please write to me about it. Sir Roger Gale. Mr Speaker, I know that uh, my right honourable friend wants to see the United Kingdom growing more crops. Uh, we're not going to blaze a trail to self-sufficiency by building over our finest agricultural land. That's got to stop now. On this back British farming day, we're at harvest time. And Mr Speaker, all is not safely gathered in. In three weeks, Thanet Earth in my constituency, one of the largest glasshouse companies in the country, growing tomatoes, has had to trash £320,000 worth of produce because of no pickers and no drivers. Because of a lack of labour force, the crops are rotting in the fields and on our trees. Mr Speaker, will my right honourable friend seek to introduce immediately a Covid recovery visa so that this year's crops are not lost? I, I, I thank my my right honourable friend, and he's, he's absolutely right in what he says about the importance of uh, buying British and eating British. Uh, our, our, food is the, our food is the best in the, in the world. Uh, he's right also to address the problems in the supply chain that we're currently seeing, uh, but we are uh, taking steps. And of course, 
uh, this, is a, this has been a problem for, for, for a long time, but what we have, what we have is the seasonal agriculture workers scheme, uh, which we will use to ensure uh, that British farms uh, get the, uh, the labour that they need, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I add my condolences to the Prime Minister and his family? Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister believe that burning fossil fuels will not be a source of energy in the UK in the future? Yes, Mr Speaker, and uh, just, just since uh, 2012, when I think I was Mayor of London, uh, we, we have cut, I was, uh, we've cut, uh, we've cut CO2, uh, we've, we've cut our dependence, we've cut CO2 massively, but we've cut our dependence on coal from, I think, 40% uh, to less than 1%. How about that, Mr Speaker? To Neil Hudson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Ulswater Community College, led superbly by head teacher Stephen Gilby, is a fantastic school in Penrith with 1,500 pupils, over 200 staff, and a 600 square mile catchment area. The school is in desperate need of redevelopment to keep the site fit for purpose. In partnership with Myerscow College, the school is providing a lifeline for land based education in Cumbria after the sad closure of Newton Rigg College in July. As a great opportunity for the Government to level up rural areas, will the Prime Minister join me in supporting the proposed rebuild of Oldswater Community College? Uh, yes, Mr Speaker. I, I, look, I thank my uh, honourable friend, who is a great campaigner for the people of Penrith and the border. Um, uh, but what I can tell him is that, in addition to uh, our support for uh, the, the 500 school projects in the next uh, in the next uh, rebuilding projects in the next decade, uh, and the, we're doing 100 immediately. And for the financial year 2021-22, Mr. Speaker, Cumbria County Council has been allocated 5.3 million, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, to improve uh, buildings, including Ulswater Community College. Kim Labbeecher. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that the impending cuts to universal credit will not just have a devastating financial impact on people, but will also lead to stress and anxiety and undoubtedly have a hugely detrimental effect on their mental health, yep. which on top of the pressures of the pandemic could prove devastating for some? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I've, I've answered this many times, but the answer is no. And in any case, Labour, Labour would abolish universal credit altogether, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Back in 2004, Scarborough hit the national headlines when rumours of a new dental practice opening led to hundreds of people queuing round the block in the vain hope of registering as NHS patients. Today, whilst many better-off families continue to enjoy the discounted prices that the NHS offers, many children and vulnerable families still can't register as NHS dental patients in Scarborough Whitby. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this needs fixing? Yes, yes, Mr. Speaker, and that's why we're. In, I totally agree. With you. That's why we're investing in the in the NHS, and we want the NHS to be a better place uh, for the dental profession, Mr. Speaker. Wouldn't it be a fine thing if this House of Commons voted uh, overwhelmingly, with all members uh, voting for our package of measures to support the NHS? And who pays our job? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Speaker, September marks Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. 
Every day across the UK, 12 children and young people will be diagnosed with cancer, and of those 12, two will not survive. My constituent, Nadia Majid, and her family are campaigning to improve research and funding in this field. Nadia's son, Rehan, was only four years old when he was diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumour. Rehan tragically passed away only four months after his diagnosis. So I asked the Prime Minister, will he join me in thanking all the doctors, nurses and support staff who worked tirelessly to fight against childhood cancer? And will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss how the four nations can work together to improve research and funding into childhood cancers and support families like Nadia's? Yes, I know that she uh, echoes the thoughts of millions of people. Uh, uh, there's not a family in this country that hasn't been touched by, uh, by cancer. Childhood cancer is particularly tragic, and that's why the, the government is investing huge sums uh, in, uh, in research, but also in supporting some of the fantastic charities uh, that she mentions, particularly uh, those investigating brain cancers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Dr Camilla Kingdon, the President of the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health, thinks that the routine testing of children without COVID symptoms is still interrupting children and teenagers' school attendance, and they don't believe it should continue. She thinks COVID should be treated like other diseases, and you only deal with children with symptoms. Um, I agree with Dr Kingdon and her colleagues in the Royal College. Um, can I ask the Prime Minister if he does as well? Uh, Mr Speaker, I have great respect for... Uh, Dr. Keenum, and indeed, as I have indeed for my, my right honourable friend, uh, it's one of a number of, of views in the scientific uh, community, Mr. Speaker. But we continue to think that testing is a very important uh, route uh, for keeping schools open, uh, Mr. Speaker, which I believe is uh, the best possible thing for the physical and mental health of our kids. Nadia Witt. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, my condolences to the Prime Minister on the sad loss of his mother. Mr Speaker, I was privileged to be able to take the time off work that I needed to recover from PTSD, but that should be a right for everyone, not a privilege. <laughs> but far too many people aren't able to take the time off that they need, because by the former Health Secretary's own admission, statutory sick pay at £95 a week is not enough to live on. Exactly. So a simple question, yes or no, will the Prime Minister today commit to full sick pay at a real living wage, yeah. not the government's current age-restricted minimum wage. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, what we have done, as uh, the whole House will know, is make sure that uh, everybody uh, who gets COVID-related statutory sick pay gets it on, on, on day one. Uh, but we're all, we've also ensured that uh, most people in this country, uh, when they uh, fall sick or when they need to recover, as, as the Honourable Lady has, uh, do receive considerably more than statutory sick pay. Bob Blackman. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, as, a, as a Queen's Scout, I'm always keen to encourage young people to get into the most successful youth organisation in the world. Yeah, yeah. So last week, I was delighted that the Scout Association has released and announced the first new age range for scouting for 35 years, namely the squirrels, which, which allows young people of four and five years old to become part of the Scout movement. It is particularly aimed at areas of deprivation and disadvantaged children. So will my right honourable friend agree with me 
that we should congratulate the Scout Association, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. thank the volunteers who give up their time to enable yeah, young people yeah, yeah, yeah. to do so, and encourage young people to get involved in a safe environment for adventure and new challenges. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes, Mr. What, what a wonderful. I had no, I had no idea that. Uh, uh, that the Scouts Association was, was doing that, but I think it's fantastic that uniformed youth services, uniformed youth services, make a huge difference to uh, outcomes for, for young people. Uh, I think it's fantastic that the squirrels are now starting them off at the age of four. You've registered, Wilfred. Let's go to Jack Drummond. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, for over half a century, the GKN factory in Erdington has produced high-quality parts for the automotive industry. Now, following the hostile takeover by Melrose, the company has announced its intention to close the sack factory, sack 519 workers, and export jobs and production to continental Europe. Now, Prime Minister, there's been some welcome engagement with ministers around this issue. But does the Prime Minister agree with me that in one of the poorest parts of Britain, if the levelling up agenda means anything, this factory cannot close. Yeah, if support yeah. for British manufacturing means anything, this factory cannot close. And does the Prime Minister therefore agree with me that it would be a betrayal of the British national interest were this great historic factory to become history? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the, the, I know that my right honourable friend there. The Business Secretary is uh, working with uh, GKN to do whatever we can, uh, but I can also tell them I believe the future for the, the UK automotive sector is incredibly bright, and that, and that is because that is because this. Uh, to get to the question uh, from the honourable lady from the, from the Liberal Democrats, this is a, this is the government that took the historic step ahead of every other European country uh, to move towards electric vehicles uh, by 2030, uh, and we we want this country to be in the lead. Uh, we're making sure that we get the investment in the UK that will drive new technology and drive growth and drive high-wage, high-skilled jobs in this country. Dr Kieran Mullen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, at a time where our economy desperately needs investment, right now we are missing out on hundreds of millions of pounds of private capital flowing into the geothermal sector across Europe because the UK does not offer a competitive long-term tariff. Geothermal will help us heat homes, create jobs and level up the UK. I know we haven't yet found time to meet to discuss this, but can the Prime Minister find time in his diary in coming weeks so we can discuss this issue so we don't miss out on further investment? Uh, I, I thank my honourable friend. I'm sorry that uh, we haven't yet uh, had time, found time to do, uh, discuss this properly, uh, person to person. But I can tell you, the government is, is, is very, very much interested in what he says uh, in geothermal projects. So I'll make sure uh, that we have a meeting is arranged as soon as possible. Jamie Stone, Speaker, I am sure that the Prime Minister will be as pleased as I am that this week the Scottish Land Court has given the green light, the final green light, to establishing a space launch facility in Sutherland. This is something that is great for the UK and it is time to bury part of the political differences. On behalf of the delighted crofters of the community of Melness, I extend a warm invitation to the Prime Minister to come to the first launch. He will be given a delicious Highland tea, including some homemade scones. Well, uh, Mr. Speaker, I can't thank the, uh, the, the Honourable Gentleman for his kind invitation. I, I look forward to, to taking it up. What we need, Mr. Speaker, is a suitable payload uh, to send into space, and I, I think the gentleman opposite would do, uh, would do very well. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Monday, it was a pleasure to meet with the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer in Leicester as they discussed a zero-carbon future with British Gas. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that the development in neighbouring Derby of modular nuclear reactors also can play a major part in this zero-carbon future? Um, what steps is the government taking to facilitate the rollout of this technology to the UK and the world, especially this week? Mr. Speaker, which is Nuclear Week, perhaps in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, Mr. Speaker, we've all, I, I thank my honourable friend. We have already uh, we've already working with 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 Rolls Royce. Uh, we uh, we gave twenty million pounds. Uh, seed money to the, uh, the Rolls-Royce-led consortium uh, in, uh, when this government first came in uh, to help them to develop their, their SMR design. But, Mr Speaker, as I, as I think I said uh, to my old friend the other day, we want to see uh, those, that company coming forward with a fully worked-out plan, a fully worked-out uh, business case that we can all get behind. The Prime Minister has set out today that he wanted a high-skill, high-wage economy. He has, also, he has also been on the record as saying that the tactic of fire and rehire is unacceptable. Surely the best way of ensuring that we have a high-wage economy is to work with the Private Members' Bill to make sure that we do end that tactic of fire and rehire. Uh, Mr Speaker, the most vivid example of fire and rehire uh, is, is, is that conducted by the, by the Labour Party? Uh, well, if I recall, the, the, leader, the, the leader of the Labour Party himself fired his, fired his deputy leader and then, and then rehired her as, as Shadow Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, Mr Speaker, and Shadow Secretary of State for the Future of Work. Mr. Speaker, the future of work under Labour is low wages, low skills, driven by uncontrolled immigration. Uh, the people of this country have had enough of that. What they want to see is high wages, high skills, controlled immigration, and that's what this government is committed to deliver. Chair of the Bill Parrish. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend come to number one George Street and celebrate great British farming uh, today? Because and can we have public procurement that is British food? And can we have food envoys all across the world promoting our great British food and farming? Yes, Mr. Speaker. I will thank my uh, honourable friend, who is a living embodiment of the robustness uh, of British agriculture. Uh, is the living embodiment of the robustness of British and indeed, Mr. Speaker, of the benefits of English food, of British food, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, in, in particular, Devon, in particular, the beef of Devon and, uh, and I know, uh, or, or Somerset. Uh, and, I, know, I, know, I know, Mr. Speaker, that he, that, uh, he is he's right in what he says about food envoys. He's taken it up. Every single embassy across the world uh, has a food envoy. Final question, Sarah Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <laughs> My constituents live in Bridge House, Croydon, and their flats are covered in dangerous cladding that will cost millions to remove. They are not eligible for the government's building safety fund because it's the wrong type of cladding. Oh. Can the Prime Minister confirm do my constituents have to pay the £23,000 each that they are being charged to remove this cladding, or does he have a better plan? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, if the uh, 
the uh, honourable lady's constituents uh, are being told that they do not have to remove that cladding, then the answer is no. And I think it's very, very important uh, that, that this house, uh, that this house should recognise. Uh, this House should recognise that too many buildings have been unnecessarily, unfairly, I believe, uh, categorised as dangerous and unsafe. Yes, yes, of course we must remove dangerous cladding, and we're doing that. But I want, I want householders, I want leaseholders uh, across, I want people living in, in flats across this country to have the confidence that they can do so in safety, and that is what this government is doing. Yeah.